From the Vaults, audio from Edmonton's past. This recording consists of an interview of Edmund McDougall conducted by David Leonard on April 23, 1977. This material was originally recorded on a 5-inch open reel tape and was digitized by an archivist on July 24, 2020. Testing, testing, testing. This interview, this interview is being conducted on April the 23rd, 1977, with Mr. Eddie McDougall. Okay, Eddie, uh, I wonder if you could perhaps tell me a little bit about your childhood when you were born and uh, about what life was like in early Edmonton at the turn of the century. Well, I was born over here, just across the road here, in 1890. And I've been living here in the same property for 80, over 86 years now, in exactly the same property that I was born in here. I see. Uh, the house, when the was house, this house built? There was a large brick house, as you see up there, but that was a, it was, I was born in a frame house, first 1890, lived uh-huh. there for about uh, nine years, yeah. and the big house was built in 18, uh, or 1900. This is, my, this is McDougall's uh, house? Yeah, that's when my father built that in 1900. He, uh-huh. The other house was built... And about he moved in at about 1885. The f- that house where I was born in. I see. Yeah. Lived there till uh, uh, for a while till it was ni- 1890, and then he built this uh, large new home there. Mm-hmm. For 1890, and then I lived there all my life. After I, even I got married, my wife and I got married in 1919, and we lived there all that length of time till uh, 1940, uh, 40s. Says 46, we sold all that property <laughs> in 1946 to the Veterans Home for Children. Uh, enormous sum of uh, $35,000, <laughs> worth over a million dollars today. In fact, we tried to sell it to All Saints Church for uh, $25,000, and they thought it was way too much money. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, we sold it to the Veterans Home for Children. And they ran the thing for about 20 years, or over 3,000 children went through that home. Yes. For the Veterans Home for Children. Yeah. And then they, uh, they sold it to the YW, and that's how it is occupied now, this fine new YWCA building there. They went down where the uh, uh, telephone building is today, right at the top of the bank on McDougall, on Macaulay Street there. Oh, yes, yeah. Just east of McDougall Church there. That was the first... Uh, that was the first school I went uh-huh. to. Went there for a few years, and then let back over to Mackay Avenue School over here on 4th Street. And then they shifted me back to uh, another school uh, way down where Travis Barker's, where the uh, McDonald Hotel is. There was a school there on the top of the bank where we Travis, uh, called mm-hmm. Travis Barkley. Then I they see. kicked me into another school away over there on the Market Square. That would be just about east of uh, Woodward's there, across the, that park there. I on see. that street there, was a little log school there for a while. No uh-huh. wonder I never learned anything. <laughs> and they put me back to another school over here on the 2nd Street, just across from the post office there. There was a little school there for a while. I see. And then I was kicked away back down to... Uh, the uh, uh, McQueen's Avenue School oh, yeah, yeah. went down there for a while until I got to Victoria High School after that. That mm-hmm. was Victoria High School, about 909 there was McQueen's Avenue and then went to Victoria High School. I see, yes. 
Well, what were the schools like in early Edmonton if there were so many of them at this time? They I don't have know. They were many. just gradually building some of the big schools. They built about that time, they built that Queen's Avenue school, and they built, uh, I think, Alec Taylor School way down there. And they, they, well, there was a quite a building boom going on there. But I don't know why they had so darn many... Uh, there, see, Mackay Avenue School was built in 1904. Right. And then I had to go back to the big first school. That was uh, where I started in it almost of grade one and went back in there till about uh, grade uh, six and seven. Mm -hmm. and then over to uh, Queens Avenue School and then to the uh, Victoria High School. Yes. And then well, the well, the first school you went to, was this the first school in Edmonton? The first school? No. The first school in Edmonton was over here uh, near on the, where Mackay Avenue School is. That's right, yeah. Yeah, there was a very, or I think as, that was about the first school in yes, Edmonton. Yes, 1881, I believe. Yes, way long right there. And then there was another wooden school there for a while before they built the other one in 1904, but the one I started in was this one way down in the, um, that big brick school. There's a two, uh, they call it the high school later on. Mm -hmm. Two stories, you have four rooms in it. Mm -hmm. I see. Did, uh, you've seen pictures of it, I suppose. Oh, yes. Yeah, you've seen pictures of it. Yeah. You uh, recall any of your early teachers? The teachers? Yes. Well, who, who they were? There's old Bill Ray. <laughs> he was quite a teacher he was very fond of uh, uh, quoting Shakespeare all right? this kind of stuff He's, and uh, then there was a Miss Rogers and uh, oh Dr. Oh, Wilburn Mr. Wilburn he lives a farmer out here mm -hmm. he was a, a teacher at this first school mm -hmm. then there was uh, those uh, oh Mr. Oh, I forget some of the names of the Mackenzie he was a prominent teacher Mr. Yeah. Mackenzie yeah. And Mr. Carr, Mr. Fuller, oh, all a lot of the old fellows I've yeah. forgotten all about. I assume the teachers weren't too specialized in those days. No, 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 they weren't specialized. The teacher taught everything. I remember in one nice little girl. Oh, I forgot what her name is there. <laughs> over at Mackay Ever School here, teaching there over there. We, we always she was just kind of substitute teacher to come uh -huh. in. We were always glad to have her. She was a very nice young girl. Uh -huh. Oh, we got along pretty well, but I uh, never seemed to learn very much. <laughs> <laughs> never got along very well. I moved around to that many schools. Yeah, it's surprising in a town yeah, as small. So many, I attended about seven different schools there. Why, why did you? Why did they move you around? I so don't know why. There were just one-room schools, though, you yes, see. Yeah. Just one-room schools. Uh, uh, that Travis Barker building there. We were only there for about a year, I guess, about all. And then there's another same, that little way down, uh, log school away down on Market Square there. I don't know how, what grade I was in at that, mm -hmm. about grade six, five or six or something like that. And then mm -hmm. over there here, this my other one on 2nd Street. But then they had built this great big school, McQueen's Avenue School. That was one of the first big schools. And that's all been torn down long ago mm -hmm. when we went down there. That's where we went. I uh, must have gone there to high school because I must have gone from there over to the Victoria High School mm -hmm. and then for the two years and then over to university at the uh, when they only had the two buildings over there. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, when you were going to school, 
you certainly must have encountered a lot of individuals who later became very prominent Edmontonians. Oh, a lot of these young kids. Uh, I'd just like to show you some of the pictures of these. Uh, do you mind if I just... Oh, uh, go ahead. There's so many. There's Billy, Billy Bragg. This is a little... Uh, oh, um, Cliffy Young. Mm -hmm. He mother lived right down there at, on the, where the Bank of Montreal, uh, the corner of Jasper and First Street. Oh, yes, that wouldn't uh, have been the son of Harrison. Yeah, uh, this is a, uh, about 1896. Right where the bank is, at uh, the corner of Jasper and First Street, the south uh, east corner there. Uh -huh. It was all in kind of a bush, and she had a little fox on a pile of wood there. I remember that very plainly. This young boy is a carny. Bill Carney. Uh, Carney was his name. Oh, yes. His father was a blacksmith here. That's right, yeah. Yeah, he was a, quite a fighter. He quite a little boy here. How about, <laughs> how about the father? Do you remember him at all? I don't remember him at all, no. This is Daniel Frazier, son of uh, D.R. Frazier. This see. is Daniel Frazier, son of D.R. Frazier here. The lumberman. The lumberman. And this is uh, uh, Charlie Wilson, I think. And uh, Fred, Fred Studebaker. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Studebaker yeah. people. This is myself right here. These little boys have... Here's Jim Taylor. Son of Alec Taylor? Yeah, the son of Alec Taylor. I don't know some of the other ones. I think this is Mr. McKenzie. The and this teacher. is one of the uh, Lauder girls, I think. And this is... Uh, oh, what uh, the other teacher told you uh, out here in the... Ray? Uh, no, that Mr... Uh, Rogers? No, no, what is his name? I forgot. Don't make it. There's my, I have my sister there, my brother here. This is Gray Walker, son of uh, Johnson Walker. Store. I see, yes. Gray Walker there. I remember all these. There's my brother here, and uh, my sister here. She's still alive, Vancouver, 88. So, uh, what was this? This is Annie, there. Eighty-eight. Mm-hmm. Annie McDougall. Oh, I, I remember them. I, I saw any of these boys. I'd known them right off the bat. Yes. You know. But I can't remember half their names there, no. I don't suppose you remember what happened to most of them. I don't. It would be interesting to know just what did happen to the boys there. Yes. Sure would. <laughs> that's all. That, no, that's, a, that's, that's all the old one. That's a different one. That's a different one. No, that's a, they're the same group. They're taking a, they took two photographs, so. Well, there was some... That's, this was the junior where the first grade is, and then, and then they jumped up here in the other grade, and then the high school grade. They just had the four four grades there. Yes. And that's all. No, I had a list of all these, a lot of these girls here were going to read the Grace Robertson and the uh, old Macaulay girls, and oh, the Becks and Oliver's and Matheson's girls. Oh, you remember later, well-known mm -hmm. families around through here very well. There's a uh, Taylor, Eleanor Taylor, who lived right here next door to us. And uh, Charlie Ross, he didn't, he only had, uh, I don't think any of it, I remember where his kids went to school. I think one went to Mackay Avenue School, that's all. He, Charlie Law lives right next door here. Frank Oliver lived on that corner. I think the Oliver girls went to East. school there. Frank Oliver right. lived right over there in that corner. And Dr. Bracewell lived on this other corner here. And uh, the other corner is by uh, Mr. Greenwood. Mm -hmm. They were uh, an awfully nice family. Meet us, I guess, people. Mm -hmm. But they were very fine. They had several, three or four girls and three boys. I think they might have been in that school, some of them there. Mm -hmm. 
Do you yeah. remember Dr. Braithwaite at all? Oh, yeah, I remember Dr. Braithwaite very well. He lived out where the McGarvey McGarvey's uh, undertaking parlor is there. He lived there. And um, he would have been the, uh, the the town of Edmonton Medical Health Office. Yes, yes. And Dr. McGinnis was yes. one of the important men, mm -hmm. and Dr. Whitelaw, the medical health office, you know. Which one uh, attended your family when they were ill? Oh, Dr. McGinnis and Dr. Braithwaite, though. Uh -huh. but, and uh, Dr. Whitelaw, he was a uh, really medical health officer, but he used to come and play checkers with my father, said Darren Moss. Oh, uh -huh. every darn night, play checkers with my father. And you know, they'd get in the damnedest row over some darn game. They'd push him out to the door, then they'd argue and argue at the door there. To the and then they'd come back first thing the following night to finish up the game. And so they kept on that wall for three or four years like that. It was quite interesting. <laughs> My wife thought they'd come to blow sometime. <laughs> She'd get so argument over these darn games. Right. Yeah, doctor, I remember Dr. Brayton, I, I wore little button shoes, you see, little button shoes that had the button away up. Of course, as a kid, you know, they'd, I stuck one away up my nose, <laughs> and they got the darndest time to get it up. So I had to take it over to Dr. Uh, Dr. Bracewood to get it out of me. And then there was uh, Alec Taylor right here. He was at the first uh, telephone, you know. Tele uh, telegraph. Uh, yeah, telephone. But, uh, and then there was Walker Taylor and Jim Taylor. The, uh, Taylor, uh, oh, what is that? They went. They had a good business here. And uh, then uh, who else was around this part? Oh, there was kind of interesting. You know, but the early uh, Mrs. Oliver was the um, oh, practically one of the leading ladies. He was the Minister of Interior. Frank Oliver. Frank Oliver. Yes. Minister yeah. of Interior. She used to do a lot of the entertaining here and we were just kids and there was a Mrs. Govro used to uh, cater for her make mm -hmm. the sandwiches and cakes and she lived just over here on 5th Street just to mm -hmm. north of Jasper Avenue and we were sent over there one day the two boys he she had two boys Alan Oliver and Jack Oliver they were both killed I think no more and they sent over to get the ice cream <laughs> it was a hot day and of course uh, we were helping them with the two or three kids of us and they'd stop about every block and see if it was frozen just dip her fingers in it and take a taste of it though, and then crank it up again <laughs> and carry it on to the tea over there yeah. and then, and then, they didn't suffer any they never knew the difference no. <laughs> they worked all right that way another incident here was kind of interesting this was before uh, there was no government house there and they practically used our old house for a lot of entertainment for government people. This is uh, provincial government? Yes, yeah, so mm -hmm. like in Bullia, remember Governor yes, Bullia? Yeah. He used to be there along. He lived in Oliver's house then and because the Oliver's are way down in Ottawa. He oh, was yeah. the interior, Minister of Interior. And he, he lived there with Mr. Babbitt and his secretary and they used to come and do a lot of entertaining. They had the special visitors. One year, uh, Miss, uh, Lord and Lady Shackleton arrived in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. Now, that'd be about 908 or 9 or something like mm -hmm. that. Well, they uh, had one note. We'd put them up, my father, if they'd uh, put them up in just a new house, you see, and there was mm -hmm. a nice place. And they'd just changed uh, one of the um, little bedrooms into a, a nice new bath tile bathroom. It looked, oh, very attractive place because uh, 
they didn't have the filtration system going then for the water. And you know what the water is in June here That's off the good, river. Yeah. Well, Lady Shackleton wanted to have a bath. <laughs> so my sister drove, drew the water for her in this bath. She took one look at this water in this bathtub. <laughs> she, she declined it because it, it was just like soup, you know, just dirty as a mischief. <laughs> so she didn't have her bath that day. Lady Lady Shackleton. Yeah. We had a nice Christmas card from the show after that, mm -hmm. from Laird and Lady Shackleton. Yeah. I don't know what became of them. I guess they're all passed out long ago. Mm -hmm. They certainly have. Who were some of the um, other close friends your father had that you remember? Oh, I don't know. As I say, one of his closest friends is Dr. Watler and uh, uh, Dr. McGinnis and Dr. Brady, you know all those men. And Jim Cornwall from the north. He knew all that he men from the north. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was uh, so darn busy all the time, uh, you know, because he was with so many uh, things connected with Eden. Oh, so with many, the, yes. the early powerhouse and uh, they board the trade and they uh, connected the university senate and, and the, uh, he was the uh, old chairman of the old oh, house. All oh, Presbyterian Church Board of Management, their chairman for mm -hmm. many years, and he was always on away, so much, mm -hmm. and he was a great reader. He had a lovely, great big library, and he spent most of his time in there, mm -hmm. more than he like the modern men make make a chunk of their family or their boys and yes. take them out. Then. Although my father took us traveling all the time, whenever he went traveling, but uh -huh. when he was home, he was occupied too much with the city all the time. He didn't have much of a time to spend with his family. And although he learned himself French and German, studied all that himself when he was uh, way over 60 years of age, 65 years of age. Uh -huh. But then he had a very fine library. As I have had about a quarter of it down in the basement here already. Oh, you still have most of the books, eh? And I have a lot of it down there now. And uh, we're looking at some of the... A lot of the pages have never been cut in it yet. Some of those sits of books. Yeah, those large, limited there. edition books. Yeah. They're beautiful, you know. Beautiful book. Mm -hmm. And all leather binding and the leather binding. You start to pull it off and you kind of pull a little of the top yeah. off of so many books. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting books, though. I'll show it to you. Come down there and see them. They're all in the basement. Yes. Uh, well, after you left school here, you went on to university. Well, yeah, I just went to a couple of years in the university over here. Uh, and tell me anything uh, about the early years? And, uh, the oh, that was 1912. And then uh -huh. that was 1912. Your father would have been a senator then. Yes. Yeah. Went uh, 1911, 1912, and 13, 14, and then I went down to Seattle in 1914. Oh, what? University of Washington down there. Uh -huh. So that's about all my education. <laughs> yes, but do you remember anything of the early years at the University of Alberta? Oh, just some of the professors uh, were. There was oh, the Dr. Carr and Dr. Uh, oh, Dr. Sonier and Dr. Oh, oh, some of those. Oh, I knew all the very first professors. There were only about four or five of them in anyway. And only two buildings. Who? Only two buildings there, you Just the two buildings, Mathabasca um, Hall and Pembina Hall. Uh -huh. That's all, the only two buildings were there then for a while. Okay. Except well, St. Stephen's College was there, the first of any of them. Yes. Yes, right there. What subjects did you take at uh, University? What oh, just this engineering, just uh, civil engineering, that's all. Uh, okay, Eddie, could you tell me what year your father came to Edmonton? Well, he came out first... Uh, 
uh, to Edmonton about, oh, first to Winnipeg in 73, and then worked his way up here gradually to about 70, uh, 76, but didn't mm-hmm. stay in Edmonton. He just came through Edmonton then, and then he went down to Calgary that way, and in 77, he came through again, and then went back to Ontario and married, in 78, in the spring of 78, and they came out here, here mm-hmm. in 1978 uh, for, uh, on their way to Edmonton, he was just a trip, they had uh, carts, and traveling yes. by carts, and, 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 and they were, uh, there was a big treaty down here at uh, Sounding Lake, mm-hmm. and he uh, went to this treaty, there were over 5,000 Indians, a great big, big treaty there, yeah. so he had all his good spread out there, mm-hmm. and all the uh, traders here from Montana. It was trading for fur, though. Trading for yeah. fur, yes. He had all his uh, goods there, mm-hmm. and, but just trading especially for fur. Mm-hmm. But uh, Big Bear was there, and he wouldn't allow any of the t- other t- uh, tre- uh, chiefs to take treaty. So uh, right? they had their dis- goods displayed there all the time, but they couldn't sell because they because had no treaty money them. for a while. So. They all for about a week there down to Sounding Lake. Oh, it must have been a wonderful sight. The Montefleece were there, and mm-hmm. uh, all these traders from uh, Hudson Bay and from Montana and every place. My mother, father had his uh, goods all out there every day displayed in front of the cart. And the Indians used to come around and admire them, and they, they couldn't buy anything for a while <laughs> at all. But as I say, one day this young Indian came up with two fine horses. Talking, my father could talk Creole. He'd been out here for a long time before that, uh-huh. and um, he was arguing away with this Indian. My mother says, "Well, what were we arguing about?" He says, "Well, he said just turned out a good deal of uh, trading." And she says, "Well, uh, that's what you're here for. Why you <laughs> turn it down for?" He said, "I don't think he wanted to trade these two horses for my mother, uh-huh. actually." And I, said, I remember that very well. Mother told me that he wanted to trade these two horses for my mother, uh-huh. but he sold all his goods there, and had to go back to Winnipeg. So he didn't arrive in Edmonton till till '79. And he started yeah. in a little store there on uh, a log house. Uh-huh. Started in '79 and '70. And then they built another house, uh, uh, building in uh, eighteen in, in eighteen eighty, mm-hmm. and uh, so had that for a year. And then built this other one on about where the Alberta Hotel is down in through there, and that's oh, yeah. the one they have a duplicate of that's up at the, the old Fort and McDougal Company. Yeah, so. sure. Uh-huh. So then uh, he moved away. He sold all that store to the Hudson Bay Company, and that's the first store the Hudson Bay Company had on Jasper Avenue, because they had a store away up on uh, at the old fort. Well, they didn't consider mm-hmm. the old fort in Edmonton. You see, mm-hmm. when my mother and father were here, there were only 42 people here in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Donald Ross, Mrs. Donald Ross, there was one lady, and uh, Mrs. Coleman, and the minister's wife, my mother, there were the four white ladies here when they mm-hmm. first came. But the, the old fort, there was Mrs. Hardesty and Mrs. Young, mm-hmm. and there were, but there were a lot of people out of St. Albert and down toward the settlers sure, around, sure. you know. Right. But uh, they later on, they uh, amalgamated and come. But uh, as I say, my father, he had a tremendous toothache before yeah. he, he uh, got mad, before he was out here first time. Yeah. And uh, he didn't know what they had to do with soldiers. There were no doctors or dentists or anything here at all, so they, Wilson he went out yet, to yeah. the blacksmith shop at the old fort here, right down down the river there, and 
<laughs> blacksmith set him on a sack of potatoes and gave him a slug of whiskey and <laughs> pulled his teeth. But, but my mother, when she heard about all this thing, before when he went back, she went and had all her teeth out when she was a young girl. This is when my father went back after that when they got married. She mm -hmm. just before she got married went and tried to had every one of her teeth out, so she didn't want to go through what go my father went through. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, well, they certainly like missed the doctors all right enough. Oh, yeah. They certainly did. Uh, there was a little, uh, an instant read in a little book Mr. Reaver's done about, uh, uh, father was when he was trading down there, or oh, in Saskatchewan, uh, forgot the name of the place. He went in a little store there, well, a man had a little store there, and this guy had a little baby, cute little boy. And my father says, uh, oh, cute little boy, he says, well, what's his name? And this fella says, uh, or the young girl, she says, uh, him squirrel. Mm -hmm. yeah, father's that's a queer name, him squirrel. And the uh, storekeeper he explained he because he lived there. He says this girl were in the spring here when the high water they were down at the river there, and there's a flood of ice came along here, and she got marooned on a tree down there, but couldn't get out. Mm -hmm. And she delivered a baby in the tree. <laughs> so she got mm -hmm. out shortly after that. They came and rescued her, and they, she called them squirrels. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, that was a very interesting time. Yes. Well, your father finally amalgamated with Richard Secord. Well, you see, Secord, uh, he uh, finally had this store, and then he took Secord in uh, as a clerk. First, only $50 a month for years. He's a clerk mm -hmm. for his father about seven years there, so mm -hmm. a long while there. Mm -hmm. And then in the time of the um, gold rush, uh, my father had built... I believe they amalgamated just prior uh, to that. Yes, they, they weren't amalgamated before that. They Secord uh, was clerking for my father in this little store, you see. Oh, I see, yes. And he moved it uh, over on First Street there for a while, and the Secord, uh, they... That's got the corner of First Street and Jasper. Secord started in a small fur business there, too, beside yeah. him. And he worked for my father there for almost seven years, and during the Klondike rush, after my father built this great big three-story building, that was uh, he, amalgamate, I uh, he amalgamated and uh, called it McDougal and Secord. Mm -hmm. But uh, just McDougal, is that the telephone? No, just called it McDougal and Secord. But they uh, sold all their uh, fur business out to Reverend Frere's uh, yeah. French outfits. That's they right. had a place on Secretary for John Walker for a while there. Yes, down there they sold out, and then they went into the financial business and real estate. I see, and yes. then in 1999, they formed their firm, uh, McDougal and Secord Limited. Mm -hmm. After that, although Mr. Secord was his partner for many years, yes, that's yes. how uh, McDougal and Secord Limited formed yes. the name. Well, by the time the Klondike, the Klondikers were coming through, you yeah, were been about six or seven years old. Oh, Do yeah, about seven years old. Do you uh, have any re uh, m memories of? Them? Oh yes, I remember them. Uh, Packing up down in the, uh, I'm sure I lost that book, it's all in there that I'll find it. Uh, packing up the uh, pack ponies for the mm -hmm. Klondike. Mm -hmm. and, oh, I remember that very well. And they purchased a lot of goods from your dad. Oh, they purchased an awful lot of goods. Oh, he sold an awful lot of goods. That was just a really a heyday for him. And they, all these fellas going through, he made more money out of the packing there than they would have at the Klondike. <laughs> They're packing up the horses and packing up the dog teams, you know. Yeah. Four dog teams going away. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's four, there were four teams there, and there's four dogs on each team. Who was that? Starting all the horses in the little backyard. They had uh, my father had two great big warehouses there mm -hmm. in the Secord too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. They had the big warehouses and they were all selling all the goods, so many that oh, for the uh, Klondike packing up on the... They'd just pull it and load up then, eh? And uh, in the wintertime, they'd uh, put them on a bobsleigh with the four dogs on the sleigh, mm -hmm. but and go off that w way with the four dogs, about four teams, about be about four teams, all loaded up with the goods on the bobsleigh. Mm -hmm. But in the wintertime, it was just by pack ponies. Yeah. I remember that one of those crazy things. You might have read about it. They, one of the fellas, uh, all green, you know, never been through this stuff. They put all his goods in a great big barrel. You might remember about that. And the great big barrel, we kind of hidden it through it and started to draw this thing up to the street. And of course, the darn thing all broke to pieces no time at all. We're right down here on 2nd Street here, yeah. and I don't think it got any further than about the 6th or 7th Street before it all broke to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to carry all their goods in the big barrel with a shaft through the center, you see, mm -hmm. but they kept rolling and rolling around there. <laughs> oh, there were some queer things happening in the Klondike days there. Yeah. And some of the horses there, some of these young people come up from uh, uh, horses from the old country. Numbers, uh, well, although they're great for horses in England, mm -hmm. but uh, they've never been used to horses, some of these fellows at all. They've never been out of a city, half of them. Some of these people on this Klondike rushing in here was uh, to get the horses going out, and they hobbled the horses like putting the brakes on to go down the hill and <laughs> hobble the horses instead <laughs> of putting the brakes on. <laughs> well, oh, no. do you remember any of the Klondikers that came back? Uh -huh. Any of the Klondikers, the losers Very few that of them came, came back. back. No, very few mm -hmm. of them came back. Very few of them made anything out of it at yeah. all. There was a few d done well, yeah. but very few of them done very well. But uh, then they... Went uh, most of them went up on the Pacific coast, I think, boat way up the mm -hmm. Pacific coast. Mm -hmm. But through them, quite a few of them came through Edmonton, although certainly because this is about the last big place they could get any provisions and load up. You mm -hmm. see, we were very, very fortunate in be having this. Is about the last place they could get, and they'd have to load up the whole provision for a whole year here. Mm -hmm. I can yeah. show you. you. Did you read uh, saw that book of Edmund Trader? Oh, yes. You saw that, the provisions oh, that they yeah. have to take up That's there. Right, it's yeah. all listed the fact in there. your dad published a guide. Yeah, sure. It's it. all listed in there on uh, how they should each take so much and what different things they should take. Quite interesting. They had to take an awful lot of goods up there. That was a long, dangerous trip. It was, yeah. Boy, they, what, was, uh, what was the attitude of the people? Were they very buoyant? Oh, some of them were, yes, oh, sure. <laughs> some of them were just green fellas, didn't know anything at all about it. And some of them were very friendly and very pleasant. Uh -huh. right. uh, mostly all young people, you know. Some of them... Most of them were young, eh? Oh, yes, mostly young. young uh -huh. Well, I mean, they're in their 20s, you see. Sure, sure. Around that age, looking for their fortune. Yeah. Because they came from all over. That was a tremendous boom, all right. Uh, it must have been up in Alaska. There's a tremendous boom up in through there. Mm -hmm. Although Edmonton done very well outfitting them here. Oh, Edmonton did, yes. Yeah, it was the last, last post they could get yeah. overland. They really yeah. the last overland post before they could get up the Klondike there. That's right, yeah. Some of them went by boat, and some of them went or tried to get overland. And oh, my, the horses and things that they lost. I don't know. Some yeah. of those trips up through there, tremendous. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Now, between the time of the Klondike and World War One, you saw a great uh, boom. In oh goodness! I was just looking at that tremendous boom. About eighteen, from about eight nineteen hundred and three, things started to boom here. Just about nineteen hundred, when our father built that house, mm-hmm. things started to boom. About that time, nineteen hundred, nineteen hundred and two and three, there was a tremendous lot of booming building going on for about ten years, from nineteen hundred and three till about uh, ten or twelve years, and it increased from about three thousand people in about nine hundred and three, I think, somewhere around that, up to about uh, twenty thousand or twenty-three thousand. And uh, the uh, uh, ten years after that, ninety-three, about nineteen eleven. Mm-hmm. But between nineteen eleven and nineteen fourteen, it increased uh, fifty thousand in three years. Mm-hmm. It increased fifty thousand in three years. Mm-hmm. But it's quite interesting. Uh, before that, uh, the most of the people uh, up to nineteen hundred and three were. Uh, Nearly all little one-story, two-story homes, two-story houses, two-story houses. Here's some interesting thing too, I'll show you. This is Edmonton, 1903. You don't see any high-rise apartments around there. No. Look there. Just there, you can stay there. Not a building on the place there. See, there's the old bridge. This is a church up on the... uh, this is a church at 9th Street, mm-hmm. 11th Street, the Catholic Church there. This must be the Methodist Church. This is the, there's a, the, where the old school was so went up here. This be the mm-hmm. Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But what, uh, during this time, uh, it must have been a very unique experience for you, because prior to then, uh, Edmonton was a small town. Oh, right? yeah, it was a small and town. And everybody knew each other. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, now all of a sudden there's a city of strangers. Oh, yes, there's uh, totally. See, nearly all the homes, now there's a house I was born in, that it was uh, built over here and then moved down where this apartment is, down the street and right the line. That's the house I was born in. But you see, they're all two-story homes, and, everyone, and they all have picket fences, practically, uh-huh. uh, up to that time, 903. Yeah. And uh, now, in 1900, uh, from the... They started the boom at about 1914, at the time of the boom, they say about the end of the boom, when the war came on. Yeah. Boy, what a change, how Edmund has grown from 19, uh, in those three years of practically 50,000 people mm-hmm. in about four, three years. Yes, but did the, did the attitudes of the people change? Yes. Uh, oh, the way they, it's a different style now, in nearly all the buildings now, as you notice, all the settlements are nearly little one-story bungalows. Yeah. All over, no matter what part of the city you go, it's nearly all one-story. Uh, and yet, the main business are going up with these great big high-rise apartments all over the place. Uh-huh. What a change. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, always a tremendous change between 1903 and, or even 19- right up to the present day. Yeah. Always uh, just a great big modern city. Yeah. Before you used to know everybody in the sound, you know, when it was a little town, used to know everybody. Go downtown, you know, probably everybody who knew, who knew every store there. They say there was a, oh, there's a Hepburn's, and there's a Lauder store, and there's a Graydon's Drug store. Uh-huh. Uh, all those people we know so well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, made an awful difference, all right, now. 
Yes. Well, then they're going to take replicas of most of those up at the old forts. They kind of reproduce that in a lot time. Of them they have, yeah, yeah, that'll be nice already, you know. Yeah. It'll take a long time. About ten years to have that working up pretty good place up there. Mm -hmm. Now, after 1914, there was a great decline in population. Yes, there certainly was. Now, I assume this affected a lot of businesses. Oh, a big depression. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so many people lost so much money and uh, after the, uh, that big depression, after the war. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, so many people had to, just through city tax, well, the, our farm alone used to have uh, half of his own pretty near a mile of stuff on Jasper Avenue and had to let it all go for taxes. Is that right? To, oh, heavens, yes. Huh. I know, and uh, there was a, started in the big cement plant or something out here, and so many of the prominent people, like that would Dr. be the Mar uh, the Marlboro cement. Yes, company. yes, yeah. uh, uh, invested in that. There was Dr. Bully, and um, or the head of the university, Dr. Torrey, and a whole lot of these people. And my father backed all their notes, uh -huh. and he had to pay them all. It just almost broke them. Yeah. Yeah. He, he lost uh -huh. so much of that money in backing these uh, men's notes. It, it looked like a sure thing, you see, mm -hmm. and yet it was just a complete washout. They lost everything. Mm-hmm. That's the Marlboro thing. You remember that? <laughs> Yeah. Well, now we get past World War One into the 1920s. Yeah. It's about sometime in this period that you uh, joined the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. Oh, I, I started in in my music career in 1908. I with a major watch, and I joined. The, he started a band here. Uh, the 101st Fusiliers Band, mm -hmm. and I joined in this 101st Fusiliers Band, 908, and I played in that for a while. And then what I did played, you play? I played clarinet. Clarinet. I played clarinet in that, and then I played in with the uh, the 49th Band, and as the Citizen Band, I played clarinet all the time in that. And then when I went to university, I was playing uh, in the orchestra uh, band there, playing clarinet. But the bandmaster there wanted somebody to take up the oboe. I never heard of an oboe. I never heard of it. He, <laughs> I was playing first clarinet for him, so he wanted to know if I'd take the oboe. So he, uh -huh. he got an oboe for me, and that's how I got started playing the oboe. Well, I played there for a while in the band there. When I came back to Edmonton, they started the uh, Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, and they had no oboe. But what year would that be? 1920 1920. Uh -huh. They started the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. Well, they didn't have any over player, and they didn't use me as a makeshift because I I never can didn't consider myself a over player or anything at all. Uh -huh. But I just played at as you might say, and I played in the symphony there all from 1920 uh, to 1930 till they broke up. Uh -huh. and then I used to play in these uh, silent picture shows if they had any oh, special uh, yeah. program on. And you'd play clarinet? Played oboe. No, oboe. I played oboe yeah. in the symphony, oboe in the picture show, and played oboe in the Pantages Theatre lot for a vaudeville show there. Right? That was interesting. That <laughs> vaudeville show was, that was very interesting because you, was, you, you get some of the temperamental people with their actors, you know. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, I remember one outfit that we came and they had to play for and they advanced notice about this terrible temperamental fellow down in Montana. He was play they were playing an orchestra down there in Great Falls or something like that. <laughs> he boy and watched some fellow for they had to rehearse for him. He came during the evening with a six shooter. He said that guy ever dropped Saturday morning he said, I'm going to let him have it And he <laughs> had that. This young fellow he's Italian or something. 
Uh, he's been beat up and had to run and hide in the freight cars or something to get away from the fellow beating him up. Temperamental <laughs> musician, you know. I see. But yeah. I was scared to death. I, I didn't know. I, I maybe I didn't blow blow very much. <laughs> I was scared to death. Yeah. Well, did you play solo? I played oboe. Yeah, yes, but where is it? Just oh, yourself? he was just a conductor. No, but did you? It was just you playing. Yes, that's, that's when I played oboe. The sim uh, that Why was in the vaudeville. Yeah, there was no band. Pantages, no. Yes. There's no band, just you yourself playing. No, that was just uh, for the Pantages Theater, just an orchestra theater. Oh, oh you were part of an orchestra? Oh, yeah, I played the orchestra and the, the Pantages Theater, you see. I, see, I played yeah. the orchestra. Under Weaver Winston, you ever hear of him? Uh, He's a well-known uh, musician yeah. here. They, uh, he was the leader of the Pantages uh -huh. Theater all the time. Uh -huh. uh, when you were playing in the uh, early silent films, did oh. you, was it a group? Oh, and the... Uh, for the uh, bands, it was a group, bands in the band, about 30, uh -huh. 25 to 30 in the band. In the silent pictures? In the what? In the silent pictures. In the silent pictures, no, there's only about five or six, five right, or six right, about three. four or five of us in the silent uh -huh. pictures. I see. Because it just had that spread, there'd be a violin, and a couple of violins, and a second violin, and a, uh, maybe a cornet. Uh, flute. Uh, there'd be about five of us, not about all. I see, yeah. Um, playing in the, the silent picture. And that never seen this. We just sat down, it was all sight reading. You just, no uh -huh. rehearsal for that. Now, uh -huh. for the vaudeville show, you had one rehearsal with the conductor, but not with the actors at all. Uh -huh. And that was difficult because nearly all manuscript, uh -huh. handwritten, you see, and cuts and cuts all over the place, and you go back here and the dash here there. Oh, well, that was a, uh, quite a job that one was, but it was interesting, though. Yes. But the symphony was just straight reading yes. music. Well, with the symphony, who, who was the uh, uh, primary Mr. mover behind Mr. it? Mr. Barron was one of the first uh, conductors, mm -hmm. and Weaver Winston conducted. Mr. Barford conducted at some time. Mm -hmm. And uh, who else? Uh, well, Mr. Barron, he was a Frenchman. Oh, he was a very fine conductor, very nice man, mm -hmm. very fine conductor. Now, the symphony broke up in 1930. Yeah. Why, why did it disband? Well, then yeah, that's the time the talkies came in, you see. Oh, the I talkies see. came yeah. in in the theater then. So a lot of these musicians lost their job in Edinburgh because they were just playing oh, the th uh, for the music on the theater, the old silent picture. Yeah. So they went down to New York and they went to Chicago and they went to Vancouver and they went also. The symphony broke up because they had all their best players are gone out mm -hmm. of town. Mm-hmm. So that's how they uh, disbanded for, and then they started in a few years after that, about mm -hmm. ten years after the new modern symphony. Yes, were you involved? No, in I that didn't. Oh no, I didn't. I, I gave that up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, by about this time, uh, though, I had enough. Yes. Now, by this time, though, you were quite heavily involved in obtaining all of your wonderful works of art. Oh, I know my father, in the old home, he we traveled quite a lot, and he had a fine collection of about 50 paintings it's from mm -hmm. very good but he never bought anything on account of any artist because he didn't know uh, uh, one artist from another any of us we didn't buy because of an mm -hmm. artist in fact the first paintings they bought were the copies of these old masters these old religious paintings you know we, they had, he had a half a dozen of those things the great big things all these old saints and things, and we gave them all away to our Catholic friends here. <laughs> they yeah, yeah. didn't like them at all. Yeah. Then uh, when he broke up at a home, 
uh, each he had uh, I had two brothers and two sisters and there were five of us and we each got about uh, seven or eight paintings you see out of yeah. all that uh, and what year would this be well he that would be uh, 1940 uh, he died in 28 yes and a lot of his pictures were given then to my uh, brothers and sister uh -huh. but then a uh, lot of it was le still left in the house till we sold the house, and then uh -huh. the rest of them were divided up. And what year did you sell the house? Uh, we in 1946. 46. And moved over here. Mm -hmm. And then we got interested then, and uh, threw an awful lot of our paint, our antiques of the china and stuff like that come from Mrs. Shaw here. She had a, mm -hmm. a, a store in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Kind of got us interested in that. I had a living a sister living out in Vancouver. She kind of got us into it. I had the bug for buying paintings and mm -hmm. Annie got really interested in buying nice china and mm -hmm. this kind of stuff that uh, Mrs. Shaw here sold her all. So mm -hmm. nearly all this fine china we have we can thank Mrs. Shaw for right here. I see, yes. That's very nice. Did you buy... Were, were uh, uh, no, I still kept buying paintings all the yeah. time and then I used to send uh, uh, get those magazines, uh, Connoisseur magazines and I just see an ad and I sat over there and I got in touch with a good firm over there in London, the Newman and Company. Mm -hmm. And they sold me quite a few of their paintings and I, they'd send me a photographs of them and I'd mm -hmm. pick them up. And in fact, they uh, had a letter two years ago wanted to come back and buy some of my paintings back again because they've increased so much in value. Mm -hmm. But I'm not selling any paintings. Yeah. But I can thank all the, most of these lovely pieces of China. You can thank Mrs. Shaw here for it. Mm -hmm. She's the one, and her little granddaughter, this is the one that the girl has been visiting me quite a bit, too. She's up here now. Mm -hmm. So I'm certainly glad to see her. Yes, right. Uh, sir. <laughs> well, it's been an interesting life, though. Uh, we've enjoyed buying, Vina bought all the little china pieces and the nice things like that. Yeah. I bought some of these other things. There were a few of them. As I showed you that box that Mrs. Shaw got me down in Monday, that, that that mm -hmm. big box you got for her anniversary box mm -hmm. that some we got some lovely stuff there for her mm -hmm. we wouldn't have anything like this with mrs shaw mm -hmm. but i didn't know one of anything from her and we are buying paintings i never looked at an artist i don't know an artist one artist from another mm -hmm. but um, now after looking them up i can appreciate that we have some good artists oh we have, have, some have an original yeah, here. Have, oh yes they're all originals every one of them yeah. We got rid of all the copies. We yeah. had all those saints and things. Gave them lots of Father Green, some of the Rosie Hall, some of the different places like that. You know, all those are copies of the old saints. And they were good copies, too. Very good copies. Mm -hmm. uh, retreating a little bit, uh, when your father died yes. in 28. 28. Yeah, you yourself were involved in the maintenance of McDougal House, I believe. Oh, the old house over here. Yes. Well, that's the time we, uh, they all uh, passed out. There was my f mother then, and my brother, and my wife. That's uh -huh. all we were living over there. You see, my uh -huh. uh, other brother and my two sisters are married. Uh -huh. So we just, there were just the few of us there. And then my father died in 28, so there was just my mother and my brother, my wife and myself there, the uh -huh. four of us. Your brother John. Yeah, no, no, John, he was married and oh, oh, lived in his own, he lived in this house down here. Oh, which brother is this then? I had two brothers. John uh, was the oldest brother. Yes. And he was the first one in the family to get married. Uh -huh. And he, li he lived in that big brick house down there. Uh -huh. Then he, uh, my other sister, 
She got married in 1909. And what's her name? That's the one that has the wedding dress down in Berks. Oh, yes. You'd like to go and see that wedding dress in Berks. It looks lovely there. Yes. Well, what was her name? Uh, Mrs. Ingalls. I see. Alice Ingalls. She lived... Uh, when she got married, she... Um, uh, lived in a house that I was born in, and that was moved down there. You saw the picture, and moved mm -hmm. down there where the uh, a big apartment is at the end of the street here. Mm -hmm. And then her husband was suddenly killed by an accident, had his back broken in an accident down at Clover Bar. So she had to uh, get rid of her property, sold the darn thing. Uh, well, she had 150 feet there, sold it for about $20,000, thought it was a big, big price there. And mm -hmm. moved out in this little bungalow right here. This uh -huh. is hers. My father built these little bungalows. Uh, this used to be our stable yard here. Uh -huh. We had the biggest stable yard over there for th a pair of horses and that's coachman and everything. Uh -huh. And on this side, we had a wooden stable for uh, cows. We had three cows and uh, uh, mm -hmm. hens and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. this was all bush and this is practically all the same property as that mm -hmm. over there. Sure. But then uh, when we got the car, uh, we pulled the uh, stable down in the garage, and then he built these three little bungalows in 1924. That cost $5,000 a piece only. Oh, I see. So it was, it was built in 24, this house. This, no. These little bungalows were built in 1924. Uh -huh. And about $5,000 a piece. He gave this one to my brother. My brother sold it a year after for $7,000. Uh -huh. And I had, father gave me this one. I had it rented for many years for uh, $50 a month, and uh, Mrs. Ingalls, my sister, had that one rented until she moved into it. Mm -hmm. And then in 46, uh, uh, when we sold the big house, I had no place to go to, and I had this rented for $50 a month, but there was mm -hmm. a lady that had moved in, she was in there, her husband had died, and I told her that I'd be moving into the bungalow, but she couldn't get, wouldn't move, and she couldn't put her out at that time mm -hmm. there. And I had to give her $500 so Vina and I could move in here. <laughs> I had to give her $500, yeah. and she left it in an awful state. It was awful. Her son was here, and there was his young wife. They were just disgusted the way they had to clean the place out. It was just awful. Yeah. But between 28 and 46, you were involved in maintaining McDougal House? Oh, yes, all the time. Yeah, we maintained that till uh, right up to 46. Mm -hmm. And um, what was the house used as? What was that? Yes. The Indians, uh, uh, half, uh, they, uh, oh, the meters body. I call them half breeds, you know. They were in there for mm -hmm. a long time. And they, oh, they painted up the walls and fixed it all up different, you know, and looked yeah. all together. It's kind of spoiled it, I thought. Yeah. But there was a lot, I would have loved to have had that house kept. And, uh, Jim and Ann. I've got a brother and sister. Um, Twenty, from the time we used it, you mean from the uh, time we sold it? No, uh, after 1928, what was the house used as? Oh, after my father died, you mean? Yes, yeah. Well, it was just uh, just my mother and uh, my brother and my wife sitting there, and they were just living there. Uh -huh. We had uh, two maids there all the time, and a uh -huh. hired man. We just kept it nice. Uh -huh. Nice garden there. We used to just go driving every day in the car. Had a nice, just kept it as alive because uh -huh. my mother wasn't very well. And uh, but we had a it used to entertain a lot of the soldiers and had garden parties around there. Oh, a lot of garden parties and the band used to come play out in the balconies there. And uh -huh. 
and the garden parties and for the different organizations, different churches and things that have uh -huh. garden parties there, and the band would come up and play, and oh, it was a very, very nice place. Yeah. Uh, says it was a veteran's home for children. After Mrs. 46. Uh, yeah, uh, Mrs. Uh, what's her, oh, what, Mrs. Peterson uh -huh. ran it. Uh -huh. And as I told you, they, uh, it was for 20 years, from 46, uh, we sold in 46, and then, uh, no, we sold it in, uh, when did we sold the house? We sold in 46, mm -hmm. to, and they ran it for about uh, 20 years for the, on the children. I told you, had about yes. 3,000 children. Were you involved? Out. Yes, you said. Were they you involved in this at all? Did what? Were you involved in this at all? No. No. And, uh... Yeah, they had a run of they said there was about, I was just looking at the paper the other day, about 3,000 children went through that. In mm -hmm. fact, uh, we still hear from some of those kids that are just little weak kids, about four or five years of age. They're married now and have their own children. Mm -hmm. One lives away out here, uh, Prince George, another one's a fortress. Gosh, another mm -hmm. one lives down at Le Duc and the old way down, I mean, the, the Olds. And mm -hmm. some of them have done very well. Mm -hmm. Very, very well. It was very interesting. It was a young couple came in here one day, and I didn't know who in the devil they were, and uh, this young fellow says, I guess you don't remember me, you know, he just came by himself, he, he said, I guess you don't remember, he says, I was out at the old home here, but I was only three years of age, now he's married, living down at Red Deer, and he's married and has a little baby himself, uh, uh, with his wife and a little <laughs> baby, and he computes every day to business here from Red Deer to Edmonton. And uh, he was in that home. Mm -hmm, I see, yes. Well, what were you yourself involved in? Uh, Not much of anything. <laughs> Aside from your... Uh, a little bit of anything. Not much of anything. I'm I just connected with Dugan Secord, that's all. Yes, of course. That's all. And, uh, but at one time, a number of the artifacts were put in the Empire Building. Yes. I believe. Well, they built the Empire Building, and uh, after they... Uh, they sold their business out, you know, McDougall Secord, and mm. went into the financial building. Which and then they, yeah. uh, they sold uh, the firm to the fur department, to River and Frayers. Yeah. And then sold the other part, and they went in the financial building, and then they built the Empire Block. Mm -hmm. And uh, went in there for uh, their business. Then yes, but you had, a, you had a, a bit of a museum in the Empire. No, they, they were, were going to have a museum. Well, they were going to, but it never but came about. No, because right? they, they needed the property. They oh, were I beginning, the people wanted, we were going to put all our stuff up in there. Uh -huh. But we would have liked to have had it, after I was talking to the government, to have put all our, our stuff into the old home and to keep it as in there and a, uh, a lovely park land. Uh -huh. You know, it was, it was big enough for a Wrigley Park, but the government wanted to buy it, but the YWC wouldn't sell it. You see, uh -huh. the Veterans Home sold it to the YW. We sold for twenty uh, for $34,000. The YW, uh, the y Veterans Home for Children, sold it for about $360,000. But the YW wouldn't, uh, the government wanted to buy it. Hort Schmidt was very interested to get it, mm -hmm. or, but he wouldn't, they wouldn't sell it. Well, it's, it's actually a very good purpose now, though. It would have been nice to have a nice uh, museum there and a nice park there. It would have been fine. That would have been the best place to put all our art objects and everything, mm -hmm. but it was too late. They just didn't get interested in it soon enough. 
if they were above uh, three years sooner, they could have had it for a good sum, you see. But the YW wouldn't sell it for, because they knew they had a really a gold mine right there. Yeah. And uh, by golly, they're doing an awfully good business there. I suppose. That's just yeah. loaded all the time yeah. at noon there. You can hardly get in the place for dinner now. It's so yeah. crowded. Yeah. And it's so nice and handy for me. All I have to do is walk around, <laughs> walk across the lane, get in. Yeah. <laughs> they have a fine swimming pool there. Beautiful swimming pool. A lot of, it's nearly all babies. All these young women with their babies. Oh, year and two years of age. That's just loaded with them. And then they have classes there for uh, pottery. Two or three classes. One of my nieces was taking pottery there for a long time, come every Monday, and another my lease, she's taking pottery there every Tuesday, and she's married, and they both have their children, they take them there, they have the people look after the children there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, what, uh, what is going to be the eventual disposition, or deposition of the works of art you have here? What about the position of them? Well, yeah. they're supposed to be in all will to the provincial museum mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Whether they look after them, I don't know. Uh, I would, Mrs. Shaw would have liked to come and arrange and fix them things up and mm-hmm. fix them up. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. We the haven't done anything more about it. All we've done is just willed it to the provincial museum who had mm-hmm. letters thanking me so many times from the government, uh, but they had never done anything. To, mm-hmm. I don't know whether they ever will. Mm-hmm. Unless they say they're going to try and get, uh, they got a young fellow studying the culture stuff, but he don't know one tenth of what Kelly knows. I mm-hmm. told Kelly up there when one day this is her granddaughter, mm-hmm. she knows more about these antiques than these kids that were young up there. They have. I told Mister uh, um, Court, uh, introduced him to Kelly. I said, "Here, this little girl, she knows far more about this stuff than I'm giving them than I do myself. And I said, if you want somebody to look after it, this is the girl to get in charge up there. So (laughs) he has a boy just studying uh, at the university art classes. That's about all. They they don't know anything about any of this stuff. I bet bet you could go and take half a dozen of uh, your fine pieces of china you sold me and ask. Well, I do. That's a very fascinating life you've had to this date, and you've had many very memorable experiences. I'd like to thank you very much for. Well, it's been all, all mine. Bring a lot of my bad memory back again, and mm-hmm. it'll bring back some more again. I hope sometime. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, you're very welcome. This material is a digitized audio recording from the holdings of the City of Edmonton Archives. For more information regarding the recording, please contact us by email at cms.archives at edmonton.ca, by phone at 780-496-8711, or on our online catalog at cityarchives.edmonton.ca.